0: Oh, thank you for that great intro to Woo-hoo. the My Ward Life podcast, episode number three. Here we are, Tony. Hello, Tony, with my hey, co-host Kevin. Tony Hey, What's up, buddy? I'm uh, here. And we are recording, and we are semi-sponsored by <laughs> Guinness. <since laughs> we're 1759, hopeful. we're damn since hopeful. We're damn hopeful. Damn hopeful that we and you are celebrating St. Patrick's Day today, recording these episodes. So uh, today's episode is dedicated to breast cancer survivors. That's right, um, and. The title of this episode, Tony, is The Women of 91. Different time. It
1: doesn't feel like a different time because we're old.
0: <laughs> well, no, it was. It for was, us, it was only yesterday. It was a time for me where, you know, I was invited to be a part of the first production team of Lollapalooza in 1991. Right. And our guest on this episode will be Tana Douglas, who I met prior to 1991. And uh, we're going to be talking about her book, Loud. And she was the first woman roadie. And I've invited Lisa Brownley, who I met in 1991, who worked with me for the past 25 years and more. And now she'll be making an announcement about her, uh, the punk rock museum that would be, be being built in uh, Las Vegas. Vegas, yeah. And then a nonprofit that, you know, is dear to my heart and a dear friend, Shani Joe Darden with Keep Abreast. So... It's going to be a fun episode. Uh, Usually my friends uh, and court, you don't like to have them in the same (laughs) (laughs) sentence, but uh, we're going to be talking about her and her going all the way to Supreme Court with uh, what she believes in.
1: So you talk about 1991 and and for my side of the industry that I was in, which was a little different kind of touring. (laughs) What side were you in? (laughs) Broadway touring! National tours, but you know, there were no, virtually no... Women stage managers that I experienced at any time, or or roadies or crew. I mean, that changed later in my career. It started. I, I Pat Loeb with someone who was a stage manager. Still now, she's amazing. But it was a different time. What was your experience?
0: Absolutely. I mean, our our touring crew on Lollapalooza, you know, ninety nine percent male. You know, but someone will t- you know we'll talk about that. Where Tana felt that there was actually starting to have a breakthrough uh, in nineteen ninety one. Uh, where we actually had some people on that tour in the production uh, team that were female. And we're going to talk about that progression and how, you know, more and more positions. It's not just back of house. It's, you know, riggers and stage people. And uh, but these are some fabulous stories. You know, um, before we get started, if you like us, just follow us on Instagram. My Warp Life. Uh, We've got our website coming up. We're going to have some merchandise. We've got all kinds of fun stuff. it's really been fun, these episodes, and we're lining up a lot of great episodes in yeah, the future. Yeah, they're
1: going to get really cool. We've got some really amazing guests coming up.
0: So, I mean, really where I would like to, you know, we should probably, you know, like jump into this first little segment here just to get, a, you know, everyone a feel of, you know, about, you know, hiring, you know, how, how some of these strong women broke down the barriers of the business.
1: Well, it must have been a whole lifestyle change, and it's different than what,
0: what many people are used to. Uh, we got the whole production office on Warp Tour, was uh, female at one point. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's,
1: I mean, to say you're a pioneer in that, in rock and roll, to have that is, is
0: not out of line in any way. Well, people will ask me what your legacy is. And I, I do say when I walk backstage at any festival in the country or go to most a lot of tours and meet uh, women who started out somewhere on our tour whether they were working for a band, they're working with sponsors, working in the production office. And that's what your legacy will end up being that you kind of helped open the doors, but they had to prove themselves. You said you worked with
1: Lisa for 25 years. Who is she and how did she start?
0: Well, Lisa Brownlee um, is, is one of those people that like is just a hard worker, takes on the challenges. I first met her on Lollapalooza because we had, she was out there on the road working with this product called Smart Drink. It was like the original energy drink. You know, we always have sponsors on tours. Now you have all these energy drinks, but they were actually mixing it by hand. And uh, I went out there many times and they were just covered in this stuff and she'd give me a drink and we would talk. And I started to realize that, you know, the touring world was, even at that point, I could see that there were second-class citizens. You know, you had the people that were working on the stage and backstage, but you had these people that were, I guess, for lack of a better, you know, the, the the front of house and vendors and things, and these people couldn't even get a shower. Yikes! That's why I'm very
2: compassionate
0: for people on the Warp Tour
2: because I remember being separated by class, really, by being on those kind of tours. And you you were doing just as much work as everybody else. You might not have been a performer yet, you didn't get the same basic privileges like getting a shower, right? And that's that's kind of where you bridge that gap.
1: You no, know, it's the subsequent stories that I hear as the Warp Tour goes on. It's it's interesting to hear that, and you dealt with her 25 years and before with Lollapalooza. The idea that there's this this social economic gap between the haves and the have-nots. It's very right. rock and roll. But as the Warp Tour goes on, and I hear other people talk about the tour later on, that is absolutely the
0: polar opposites of what it turned out to be. No, absolutely. For me, it was ab- about. Making everyone, because every, to me, every person and every person involved in the tour, you needed them. You needed all the components to make it all work the right way. It was very interesting. A lot of times we talk, you know, in the in the, the industry about people wanting to get into the industry, and they're they're they have a set thing they want to do. They they're like, I want to do this. Can I, I want to be a rock star. I want. Well, now you know, yeah, you want to be a rock star, <laughs> but you. Became a dancer first. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that was going to lead to you to being a rock star, unless you they fell off the stage hey, and you on, jumped on some the mic. Pretty good
1: rock stars so, and dance.
0: So, you know, it's one of those things. We we try to stress. You know, now you know when I work with students or young people, I'm like, you get your foot in the door any way or you can, and this you know, let, let's hear how Lisa got in
2: there wasn't necessarily a place for me, but, but we had a long-term friendship and I knew that you knew I was going to hustle. And, uh, you found a place for me. Now, I would like to preface this by saying that I have a horrible memory, so I could be chronologically wrong, but I believe my first position and role was selling the Warp Tour compilation. So vending again, that was the first year that we ever had the Warp Tour compilation. Um, and I had a booth, right? I had to set up the booth every day. And and previously Side One Dummy and you uh, got all these bands that were on the tour to do a compilation. And then I was there like mixed in with the labels, label tents and, and like selling our compilation. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I think so. And then the, the, the interesting to me was that, I think maybe the second year when I contacted you about working with a certain company. Do you remember that company?
2: Oh, yeah. That was Spawn, Todd McFarlane, Spawn Comics. Was it Spawn?
0: Yeah, Spawn Comics. And, you know, it was interesting because I remember calling you and you're like, what the hell? I have no idea what Spawn Comics was.
2: (laughs) Todd McFarlane. Yeah, that turned out to be a really wonderful, super cool. Right. I just wanted to be there by any means necessary. I didn't care what you told me to do. Right. Like if you go, go sell these drinks again, I would have done that.
1: And, you know, uh, being at the Warped Tour uh, in the last years, there, the, the vending booths and and the tents, there's a sea of them. They go on and on forever. And so you have to imagine that all of those booths have two or three people that stick on the tour. It's a whole
0: culture. Of, and, and many of those people, that's their first job in the business. Right. And – that was the thing with Lisa, you know, why she went so far, has gone so far in the business, not mm-hmm. went so far, how she has gone so far, is that she's just willing to say, I'm in. I'm willing to try it.
2: My, my first memory of that was I, you know, we were on the dial-up. We were back on the, uh, the AOL dial-up days. And I remember I would say to you, do you want me to go set up your computer in the office? And you would go, yeah, you know, so I'd come over to where I'd break down whatever I was doing. I'd come to you and I would get your old school computer bag and go into the production office and kind of wiggle my way into all those folks and go, Kevin wants me to set up his computer. And I still to this day say to people, I'm a, a area code rain man, because I knew every dial up number area code before from the days when we had to like, Go through that process, right? So I started doing that and then we used to get pizzas every day. So I'd uh, deliver the pizzas for the buses, put up the bus call signs, whatever I could do to participate in the bigger picture,
0: you know. You know, so many people, Tony, it's interesting in our business, you know, when, when they get, come into the business, they they kind of they do their job well, but they don't step in. And that's what I always look for, people that were willing to jump in at any time, you know. Um, even the bands, you know, we, we, we'd have something delivered to the production office. I mean, we're talking like a UPS or FedEx truck comes in and they're delivering a hundred packages like every day. And I would go run out, I'm going to go start helping unload the, the guy, the truck guy. You could let him do it by himself, but that would, you know, it's a hundred degrees out there. And then you would just start noticing, like people might be walking to catering or they might be just going to the bathroom. The ones who would just come over and say, can I help? And it's simple in life. Those simple little lessons can start to really reflect. And you really started to see that with Lisa.
1: Well, see the, the other side of that too, is that what is going on in the back of your mind for all those people that kind of duck out and say, I got to go to the bathroom or I'm out of here.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I related to the like grocery store when I went yesterday and like- uh, We all know who you are people. And the, and the woman in front of me, like had a bag of frozen hamburgers. And she just left them on like the shelf. You know how people leave stuff they don't want? But it wasn't like a candy bar, a bag of chips. She put a whole fucking bag <laughs> of frozen hamburgers up there. And I just looked at her and the checker who I, I kind of know you know, through there. And we just looked at each other like, and I just go, well, that's a sign of someone I would never hire. Yeah, these are the people that are on tour the first week, maybe the first week and a half, but eventually yeah, they're, they're, gonna, they're gonna go. So, you know, Lisa was a hard worker. There's some of these things she did.
2: I think what I did is I saw a need to fill fill a hole, and that was uh, taking care of the bus drivers, right? So as this tour exponentially grew bigger, we had more and more bus drivers. And bus drivers are so pivotal in our day-to-day lives. And uh, because I would be one of the first people they would see in the morning, they would call me Mama Duck, and they'd all start following me around everywhere. Hey, Mama Duck, do you know where this is? And Mama Duck, do you know where that is? So I said to you, I think I remember proposing to you, why don't I become part of the production office and I'll take care of the bus drivers. I'll do all of their receipts. I'll drive them to go. I mean, I'll ride in the runner van to check them in their hotels. I'll make sure they get meals. I'll uh, whatever that is. I, uh, so I created my own job with you, which was, uh, you know, take care of the bus drivers. And it became a really important part of what that was as we, as, you know as time moved on but that that was the first my first like entryway into the production office was I'll take care of the bus drivers and that therefore put me in touch with whoever was doing accounting because I had to reconcile receipts with them so I've I just proved myself to be a bigger um, asset and that was something I created on my own it wasn't a job but I knew I could make it a job
0: the thing is you know warp tour when you worked on that, it was a great showcase for yourself. And some people crashed and burned. You know, if you didn't do a good job out there, it wasn't like you were just seen as that band that you didn't do a good job for them. It reflected across 800 people and, oh, yeah. and, and this community. But if you were good, it could lead to a lot of great things. And for Lisa, it has.
2: I was out with uh, Sleeping with Sirens in Paris and Falling in Reverse and, and, um, but typically my preference if I'm given a choice is I like to do a shrunk down versions of warp tour like I like to oversee I like to tour manage tour managers right so I like to get on a festival and you started many of those festivals from the, the country ones to taste the chaos to a variety of different things and I therefore fell into position to tour manage the 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 club version of the warp tour the indoor version of that and I my preference was to tour manage tour managers, so I'd go out and oversee the the festival. So I did AP tour and Taste of Chaos and Avalanche and a variety of those tour type of tours that that
0: were bands that were Warp Tour bands.
1: I'm not even aware of that. The indoor Warp Tour. What was that?
0: Well, that was Taste of Chaos. We this was about 2005. Uh, we saw this kind of niche. Uh, Of artists, We're talking right with the used and My Chemical Romance and kind of, I guess you would call it like the, almost the emo phase, like, you know, kind of like real pop emo phase. And we saw that there was this hole and it was blowing up. And it was this moment in time too, that there was going to be a hockey strike and the arenas were going to be empty. So we kind of proposed that we would bring this tour with the used kill switch engage, a little heavier. Uh, My Chemical Romance was just blowing up. Uh, Senses fail. We put this nice package of bands together, and we made deals with kind of the arenas that we wouldn't. You know, it was a very fair deal because they didn't. They go like, "You guys want to play arenas with these club bands?" And it was similar to the 1991 Lollapalooza when we surprised everyone that that sold out amphitheaters. We sold out arenas, which actually led to this crazy show. It was the largest capacity ever in the modern era that was put into Long Beach Arena. Uh, we convinced them, it was a really strange show because we we sold all the seats behind the stage even though we weren't in the round and called it the chaos zone and sold it for $15. And we set the world record or the or the record for that arena uh, at that show. But it was a great time. And um, it was the indoor warp tour. And that one we actually got to do, I don't know, nineteen twenty countries with.
1: Wow, yeah really. And how many women would you say were involved at, at, as, as opposed to, at that same time when that started, d- did at every turn you try to fill every position you could based on relationship, or were you consciously thinking we should have
0: more female? Well, no, that was. But then we were just rolling with our production team. You know, right. we had a great. But production you had all these women in your production team, and they would come with us. They'd, you know, the ones we didn't. We, that was a smaller crew because it was like six or eight bands in right. arena. But the core team would travel with us on that. You know. Um, and then you know we had this wonderful tour of Australia. Like we were playing in Australia with Taste of Chaos. But you know, want to go back a little bit farther at this point because I, I want to bring on a friend, and her name is Tana Douglas, and she is credited with being the first woman roadie. And it was funny because Sabrina was reading a magazine she gets from Australia, and she said, "Dad, there's a story on the first uh, woman roadie," and I said, "Oh, I want to read that," and she said, "But." She said she worked on Lollapalooza, maybe you know her. And she said, ah, Tana Douglas. And I go, I know Tana Douglas. Uh-huh. The first woman, Rody, where did you come from and how did that happen?
3: It's a double-edged sword, it makes me feel really old. <laughs> well, I was in Australia and um, I had a bit of a dodgy childhood. So, you know, we were packing up and, and moving frequently, constantly, all the time. So uh, I didn't have any solid roots and didn't really have a family unit per se. And so I took off from home at a very early age. I'd just turned 15 and I decided I'd have enough. And I went off to a festival that was happening in um, New South Wales at Nimbin. And uh, from there, I just kept going. I never went back.
0: <laughs> I mean, she just ran away with the circus. Right. And um,
1: But when she ran away with the circus, she was just following the event. I wonder what led her to actually get the gig and have to carry, I mean, I don't know. If
0: you've seen roadies, they're they're strong and they have to carry a lot of weight. Well, I think at that point, you know, it was, you know, she went out, she showed that she could, you know, cut the, cut it. At that point, you did have to, there was no, like you did have to carry stuff. You do where, you know, it was, I mean, it was a physical job. Right. You know, even to this day, I just remember when I was starting to, you know, load the first PAs and things I worked on, they were heavy. You know, the sound boxes were like 200, 300 pounds and you'd have four people struggling them to get them overhead. It's gotten a lot where technology has really helped a lot to be able to make, uh, to balance that out. And of course, technology has opened up many more markets and, and many more jobs out on the road. But one of the things that I thought was funny, she, she mentioned a city called Nimbin and it would be wrong for me not to mention Nimbin, how that fell into my career at one point. Uh, we were on tour in Australia and uh, Nimbin is a town outside of Byron Bay. And we were down in Byron Bay and that's, uh, we were, were hanging out in Byron Bay and a band called The Real Big Fish went up into the hills in Nimbin because uh, Nimbin is a town where time forgot and laws forgot. Still to this day. So Tana got her start up at Nimbin, and uh, I think we have a little clip on that.
3: Nimbin started as Australia's answer to, we never got to go to Woodstock. <laughs> and it was put on by a bunch of um, university students, actually. And it was done through the council. The council sponsored parts of it, including uh, Philippe Petit, who's a French tightrope walker and they sponsored him to come over and put on performances there each night or, you know, as often as he could. And uh, there were, you know, different bands playing. I mean, it was nothing like Woodstock, really. It was more like the outskirts of Woodstocks, you know, very hippie. Gym. It, was a, it was a run-down town. It was on its last legs. It had been a lumber town, and um, it was far enough away from major cities that the students were smart enough to figure out they could get, them, get away with pretty much anything there. Whereas if they did it in a the city, they'd get shut down probably. So it started this whole cultural thing and it's still
1: going to this day. Philippe Petit. Yeah. That was the dude that did the skyscraper, right? This the Absolutely. Ty- he walked between the Twin, the tower twin Towers. The Twin Towers. Do you always yeah. see those pictures in black and white? Yeah, absolutely. And he was from that town?
0: No, she ran away with him. He was brought over. <laughs> Well, he was nuts. So. Yeah, she was brought, he was brought over as a cultural exchange with like France. Right. And that's where they met. And they went down and did a tightrope walk in a a certain spot in in Sydney Harbor, very, very famous spot. Australia, we all think it's like, you know, koala bears and Fosters. It is, Kevin. But, you know, it's not because, uh, it was interesting. I'm pretty sure it is. I don't know if you've I've ever seen that Disney movie. And there's a little location that Tana reminded me of somewhere in Australia that was a little bit different.
3: I ended up going down to Sydney with Philippe Petit and um, he's the guy who walked between the Twin Towers, by the way, if no one yeah, knows who see? he is. Wow, That's okay. the same guy. And this was the walk he did before he did the Twin Towers. So what he did was, which was illegal and not sponsored by the Australian government, <laughs> was to rig a steel cable between the towers of the Sydney Harbour Bridge and walk between those. So wow. it, it was like a commando thing. So I went down to Sydney with him them for that and that was my first taste of Sydney. And so, you know, a few other things happened, but I eventually went back to Sydney and got to see the other side of the bridge, which was where the King's Cross is and, you know, the whole music scene and all that sort of stuff. So that's how I got into the music scene was by getting brought down there.
0: Yeah, and King's Cross for those listeners, and we've got a lot of people that probably have never been there, was like the hub of music. I guess in in the United States, that would have been compared to the Sunset Strip. In Los Angeles, maybe kind of that kind of vibe or maybe the hate in San Francisco, the hate or something like that.
3: With a very strong red light district attached to it.
0: <laughs> yes,
3: yes. I, and I, gangsters I think, and stuff.
0: Yeah. If you ever want to read, there's some great books about the cross. It's, it's some amazing stuff. A guy named Chopper came out of that whole scene and King's Cross. Ab- and, absolutely. Uh, I, I was, fasc- I was fascinated about his stories. You yeah, know? Um,
3: there's, there's a story in my book, Loud, that, that talks about how I had to get out of the cross and it was dangerous and all sorts of stuff. So and it gives you a glimpse of what it was like there in the 70s.
0: At this moment, I do, since we, we're, we're touching on Australia, I, I do want to pay my respect a little bit to someone we just lost from the music industry. His name is Michael Gadinsky. Right. and he just passed away. But he really was the person him and Michael Chug and a few other people in Australia that actually modernized the touring industry, the music industry in Australia. And we just lost him uh, recently. So I I think this is a moment, I want to pay respects to Michael Godinski. He was a legend of our business that we lost just recently. Then I was, but I was, I had to ask Tana because Around night in those late 80s, early 90s, it seemed like every person I was working with was from a certain country.
3: Now, I think Australians gravitate to LA because of the climate, <laughs> and it's and it's a music industry, you know, center as well. So I mean, a lot of a lot of Australians go to England first, as I did, and it's just too damn cold. <laughs> We're not used to it.
0: <laughs> That's always been a question, though. I've always had Tony is like, if I was like running England at that point. And I had all these people that I had it like prisoners. And we knew this place in Australia. Why would I take all my prisoners and put them in Australia <laughs> with the climate? And then it's pretty far away. And then stay in England. Like the weather sucks. Like being on tour in England is like gray usually and cold and you go to Australia and we're going to, we're going to Bondi beach. We're going, you know, we're over in, in Perth. We're going to Rottenest Island. It's like surfing and camping and you know, we'll have this whole thing, we have to, an episode on camping across Australia on tour, but I've always wondered that really well, you know? So, you know, the cool thing about this is, uh, the way I found out this was, is Tana is actually has a book coming out. And uh, I, I'd like to be able to talk about the book. So uh, Tana's gonna tell us about the book and we'll talk about how we can get it.
3: Uh, the name of the book is Loud, aptly enough, Loud. And uh, it's basically, my story uh, from starting off as, you know, a first a runaway child and then becoming a female roadie and then travelling overseas and then just keeping going, you know, and going for decades and, you know, different countries. I was in England for a while, I was in Europe for a while, I was in the States, then I went back to Australia. So it's well-traveled, tonnes of different bands, tonnes of different stories and anyone who's lived a life on the road I'm sure will get a kick out of it.
0: The nice thing is that so much of our industry is run by brains now versus brawn. You know, uh, technology has caught up. You don't have to be able to lift that 200, that corner of that 200 pound speaker or that 300 pound speaker. It's not, there's, you know, so much technology that the, the business is kind of balanced out. And now that there's so many people, you're gonna hire the best person and, and the best person that can do the job, male, female, It's it's pretty equal and you'll see on our sound crews now that when I first toured there was really you know there was Dave rats wife Carrie at that point Carrie Carrie rat and She was like one of the first people doing sound But then her daughter was one of my crew chiefs out on warp So it was cool that a second generation Came in and she became a crew chief for one of our stages and we had quite a few you know women on our on that side you wouldn't expect sometimes out on the stages you know, doing the that side of the business. You know, as a
3: female, you have to know, you know, there's 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 parameters, you know, there's there's things that people expect, whether you're a male or a female. So, you know, I try to let them know these things, you know. It's like I, I stress to them that it's really important how they fit in as a member of the crew, not how they stand out as a female. And I think that's a really important thing because you know, we're dependent on each other as crew members, you know, it's a very you know, it's the basic core of the whole tour is that you can rely on your other
1: crew members. You go, you go to industry uh, events like NAM and I, you can't help but notice the the male dominance throughout our industry. I mean, there's no getting around it. And I I still think that there's probably a lot of a lot of that double standard in many ways. I think,
0: in, but I think in our world, you know, you've got companies like AEG now. You walk into Golden Voice and that, and then. I mean, it's, it's it's you know, Paul Tollette has really, and, and Rick Mueller and those people. And, you know, you recruit, you know, and now there's this movement for diversity in our industry. We need to diversify the industry, which is important, but it doesn't happen overnight. For the
1: Latin people. But it, <laughs> but it doesn't
0: happen overnight. It takes commitment from the artists. It takes no. artists. You just don't all of a sudden, you, you know, and, no, yeah. and commitment usually means committing dollars. So if that makes, means, opening up extra bus spots to bring and train people and give them that kind of training. It's always that question we have for everyone. You know, how do you balance life on the road? But that could even come into a different play, you know, when you ask you maybe a female that's uh, taken this path in life.
1: Well, you know, it, it, a lot of it has to do with just touring, the gruel of touring and how it affects your life. And I did it for a short period of time. You did it for how many? 25 years? I mean, it just... It affects your life and how you live it and, and what, what the outcome is. Well,
0: I learned how to control my touring, Tony. I did Warp Tour, and I knew exactly the two months each year I would be out. Right. When I was working for bands, you're kind of at the whim of that band. For a while there, when I was working with Nine Inch Nails and Stone Temple Pilots and, and Perry Farrell, you're at the whim of that, what, what that artist decides to do. Right. And if they're gonna, if they need to go do something, or if you, you kind of have to drop everything to go to no, be part of the But at a crew. certain
1: level, if you're if you're traveling with a big event like this, and this is your livelihood, then you're at the whim of your next mortgage payment. I mean, you got to wow. get out there or, and earn. You know,
0: if you're working for a tour, absolutely, you have to go work when there's work. Right. You know, I was able to say the road life wasn't going to be for me. 10, 11 months a year was not going to be the road life. That would have been my life. So. For me to stay in the business, I, I would have probably been able to continue working with Golden Voice uh, doing a for local production manager things I was doing already but when I started to get out on the road more and I was actually going out and working with bands I, I had to make that decision at that point that wait a second well, y- you wouldn't be able to have what I the, you wouldn't be able to balance it yeah. and and to do that you know there's that moment in time when you commit to it and and Lisa you know made that commitment so let's hear from lisa what she had to say about this
2: never once have i ever questioned it i threw away i threw all caution to the wind i knew me lisa brownlee never wanted to have children never wanted to be married never wanted to be a homeowner i just wanted to live my life on tour and like you said work tour was a uh, a small portion of the year right so that was a jumping board for me to go off and do all the other things i did And I went from smart drinks at Lollapalooza to 10 months out of the year, I was busy. I had to actually uh, create some boundaries for myself and say no to some things because I had to have some semblance of, of a life, right? I have an apartment in New York I pay rent for, and I had to have a little bit of a life. So it became a choice for me as opposed to like, Desperation, looking for work,
1: being a, on a tour, uh, ten months out of the year, year after year. This is your social network. These are your your relationships that help you get the next job and the next job. It wasn't like she could go and and get get a, a
0: job at you know. I know, Chase but that's or, what becomes your kind of touring family.
2: I think a, a hard lesson I've learned is that you creating boundaries for yourself and and balancing balancing life right I mean i have I could probably say I haven't had any successful interpersonal relationships with anybody since I don't know when because I'm always on the road I uh, I've missed countless amount of things from from you know you were with me and something that sticks with me to this day is my mother passed away while we were on a work tour and that was extremely traumatic to me. And, and I just felt so thankful that I was around my secondary family when that happened. Um, so the, the life lessons are, you can commit yourself to this, uh, as much as you want, but you're, you're going to have to balance what, what it is that you're missing to do that.
0: Yeah. It was very sad because, you know, I got close to your family in some ways because there was only a couple days that people got dressing rooms on warp Tour.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: And, uh, one of those days was when, and I affectionately called them the clan of the the Brownlee Bears would come yeah. down to to a warp tour. They would we would go to we'd be in South Florida, and you would set up a lovely day for them. Um, so I think you know if anything, you know I know your mother was very proud of you, and your your family was very proud of you, and and every time they would come down to the show, it was. You'd, it was fun for me to get to watch them grow each year and, and see, but I know that they were always extremely, you know, proud of what you were doing and, and some of the adventures and the stories you had. So, yeah. you know, um, they were very, you know, and, and um, I remember when we lost your mother and it was, it was tough and you did, did, you know, you do, like you said, you have your people around you and your family, they, they pull together and that's the road family.
2: That's the road family. Uh, you know what happened after that too, as I, I realized I live alone in New York city. I can go home after, you know, I took some time off and went dealt with what I had to deal or I can go home in New York city and be alone, or I can go back to the warp tour and be surrounded by people who love me and people who will support me and people who will engage me. I mean, I remember you took fishing the very first day that I came back, uh, to work tour after, after my mom had passed. And I thought to myself, I, this is the most thankful thing that I have about my work life. Like I can just go through something extremely traumatic and something very painful yet. I can come back to my work environment and be surrounded by lifelong friends and people who, if I say, Hey, you know what, thank you for your condolences, but I don't want to, I want to move forward and I want to Uh, engage and work and everybody respects that and and I was able to uh, you know for me that was the process I needed to do and I was very happy and thankful to come back to the my warped life and and move forward from there
0: when you start in this business it's it you give up a lot you know like I said my daughter Sierra never celebrated her birthday on the actual day her birthday could range anywhere from the 1st of May until August 28th, like whenever we could find a day to celebrate it. So the first day she actually had a um, actual birthday party, the day of her birthday was when she came on the road, when she actually came on the road. And each year that became like, you know, a highlight for her. And, you know, it was, it got a little expensive because everyone would, they'd come, Kevin, we got to buy a birthday cake for this person. And you think you got six or 800 people on the road. There's a birthday every day. So it's like we had to have a budget, a special budget for birthday cakes. It was kind of crazy. You know, you have to kind of have, it's those road stories that can only happen on the road. And each of us have, and and it's come up in this thing, our stories are our stories, and your story might be different than my story, and we might have been in the same room. But this is a a funny story that Lisa brought up during our discussion that I, I thought would be... Kind of fun to hear.
2: I always remember our day off in North Carolina where they didn't realize we they booked us and we were in the same hotel It's like a Christian, I don't know what it was. And uh everybody came in and they're like looking work Tory and we got kicked out of that hotel. We had nowhere to go. So <laughs> we just took over the entire town, parking everywhere. And they had um all you can drink. And yeah, $5, was,
0: all you could drink. People had never, like
2: hats with the, boobies, with, a, the straws, yeah. with the boobies, with the straws, with all the whole thing. And we we took <laughs> over this town. And at the end, I was almost arrested because the cops followed us all back to our buses. And they go, yeah. put the drink down, pick the drink up, put the drink down. It
0: was well, a whole... Well, well, that day, I remember most of the tour got kicked out of the hotel. And uh, yep, you're right, $5, all you can drink. But I looked and said, when I saw $5, all you can drink, I said... I'm going to wait on the bus for the police. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Wrightsville Beach, which is a kind of a beach town. I got a nice resort, the Shell Beach Resort. I've actually gone back there on my own just to go. Like, I wanted to see what it looked like since I'd, I'd paid for it, but we were kicked, literally kicked out. Like, well, there was kicked a thousand people be, from
1: a warp tour no, parking. No, no, and no, it at that point, it was just
0: more like a production. It was like a, a group, maybe a co- 150, 200 of us. A lot of people. Well, this is where the rule came. No one goes into the hotel lobby until Lisa or myself or whoever was assigned to check us in. I walk so our bus comes up a little bit late. We're already being kicked out because this is like guys are in there with their sh- pants down below their ass and their boxers up, no shirts, fucked up tattoos. Like we're talking bad tattoos. Like Warped Tour could have like a a museum of bad tattoos, right. and. They're throwing them out. I'm like, whoa, 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 what? And they're going, you can't stay here because we have like the organization of the Southern Baptist Ministers Association here. And like the bad guys are talking to their daughters already. I'm it's, assuming uh, they've already hit the up truth. the $5 all you can drink No, no, bar. no, 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 no. The $5 bar was in town. So literally oh. we, all we did was pull our bus. Like we got, I talked the guy into letting the bus drivers get some sleep there. We pulled the buses down into the city. It was just, just a, you know, like a half mile down. Here you know, typical old beach town, kind of fun town. Um, and then I see the sign and it starts spreading, $5 all you can drink. And I'm like, from five o'clock on or something. And I'm like, I, I literally, they're like, Kevin, are you coming, are you coming? And I go, nope, I'm gonna go sit on the bus and wait for the cops. So literally I'm sitting in the bus and of course I see the lights coming. <laughs> Um, it didn't take very How did they long. They know to find you. Well, oh, the they boat. followed these people back because they there were some. They had to sleep somewhere, they, right? Was, Are they going to the bus no, Yeah, sleep? everyone's going on the bus. We're leaving. We have to get to the oh, next, next show. show. We have to get down to Jacksonville. So it's like bus call ten o'clock. We have to leave. I lights are set. I, I got off the bus. Now, Lisa- <laughs> And there's the throngs
1: of bad tattoos and pants around their ankles, stumbling back to the now bus. Lisa, now, Lisa- Only followed they're, by the cops. <laughs> they,
0: they, they had some problem with the locals. That would be expected down there. Really? you know. that's weird. And then, but the cops come back and Lisa's got a drink with her. And I all I see is the cop with a flashlight on her going, put the drink down, pick the drink up, put the drink down. She's going like back and forth like this, trying to- Trying to do it. And, and he's going, Look, if you do the wrong thing next, I'm going to take you to jail. I'm like, Please, please, please. She's like, my, you know, she's, I'll take custody. Like, I'm there. But here's what you got to do. Like, if you want, if there was a problem and anyone caused any problems on this tour, let's have a lineup. So they lined up like 100 people on the wall. They brought the what? people from the bar and they picked out some people. They line them all up, they take them away. And it was members of Hate Breed, this band, the Hate Breed. And there were some members of this bicycle team that um that we used. And uh, you know, it was kind of like, so we leave, because we have to go, about um, two miles down the road, three miles of the road, I start hearing radio chatter, like radio chatter, like, and pull over the bus, we're having problems on bus. They want us to turn around to go get bust their friends out of jail. So we pull into a truck, a bus, a, a gas station. Oh, when you say
1: bust their friends out of jail, oh, yeah. you mean bail no, their friends No, bust their friends out. Oh, they were like, Jesus. "We could." it's
0: a small town, we could get our friends out. Oh, sure, we'll so, just ransack well, the they've place. Well, you gotta realize, I've been at $5 all you can drink. You get a lot of courage, oh, man. God. So I get off, by the time our bus comes up, there's a guy named Jerome Crooks and a, and a guy named Stuart Tegut, rest his soul. Stuart was badass, like Stuart was this Badass that like he had a girlfriends' names and when they break up he'd tattoo void over their names. Like literally had void over like Tanya, Void, Desiree Void. Like yeah, the guy was, you know, straight up, but he was loyal, man. Love Stuart, like the best guy in the world. He did a bunch right. of time in jail. So you know, he was that loyal guy. You gave him a job. But now he's pissed because like there's disruption in the camp. Right. So I'm trying to get off the bus. They're running. And by the time I get to the bus, Stuart's running through this bus, just knocking band members, Hate breeds other band members. Really? Mike is knocking them out. Jerome, I've never seen him so mad, but he's grabbing him and dragging him off the bus. <laughs> so by this point, I'm catching up. I'm, my bus comes on. I'm running over there. And then all of a sudden, more cops start showing up.
1: So this is just trouble on the bus because he wants to get off to go get his friends. They want the bus to turn
0: around and go back to Wrightsville uh, Beach. I see. I see. So- by then they're throwing them out. So now I'm like, and now the more cops are coming. Like the next, like now we're out in fucking. Well, he's landed. gonna get exactly what he wants. Now he? we gonna get right to the jail. Yeah, but no, we're in a different like zone, different town. This is like down the road. This oh, is like man. De- this is Deliverance country. This is <laughs> like serious drop, backwoods. You're gonna litter the whole so,
1: backwoods with people. So in So we come up,
0: and then I'm pissed. So I don't know what to do. I'm mad at these guys. So they had little bikes, like uh, BMX bikes. It wasn't motorcycles. So I'm like, f these guys. They're off the tour. So I run on my bus, grab a few hundred dollars, and literally threw the money at him and said, you can pedal home. Now, realizing we're in North Carolina, these guys were from Portland, Oregon. So <laughs> we're dragging their crap off in the middle of the street. We're throwing it all around. The cops come up. He walks up to me, goes, who's in charge? Of course I have to go, I'm in charge. Yeah, in charge, I'm in charge. Great. And then he goes, well, what's going on? I go, I, he goes, it looks like you're having a little bit of a family disturbance. Yeah. And I go, Yeah, a little bit of a family disturbance. We had a little problem. You know, these guys, he goes, all right, everyone else on the bus, these four, stay here. And the last I saw of these guys ever in my life was our buses driving off with these guys' four spread eagle on the front of a A car. car, Did you at least leave their bikes with them? Oh, yeah. We dragged them off, left them with some bikes. I think we grabbed their luggage, threw them out, went on, did a show, never heard from them again. Maybe we can interview them. I like I'm think I mean, they have some good stories about that, trying to get home with a hundred bucks in their pockets. But, you know, we always led into the, it did lead into these things sometimes. And, and there was moments in time where, you know, like I said, some things will come out that, you know, happened to me at this point.
2: I always tell this is a really funny story too. We were going to the Canadian border, We'd been having a great time and warp Tour, wherever we were, before we took off for the Canadian border. So we decided, to, is this the same one where we brought everyone on the bus? Is this the same? Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, so we decided to have, not we, Kevin. Kevin was good at this. I wasn't good at this because I didn't want everybody on the bus. But Kevin loves to invite people for the sleepover on the bus one, which was never sleepover. It was just like, woo. So we had, gosh, who did we have? I think we had Dickie. We had
0: Billy Joe, Joe. We Fat
2: had Mike, had,
0: Mike, I think.
2: Fat Mike, maybe Fat Mike. I don't remember, but we had yeah. a cast of characters. And we had like the horns and it's New Year's Eve. And everyone is just, I was like, we're going to the Canadian border. And I think at that time I was tour managing One Man Army. Yeah, and One Man Army was on uh, warp Tour. And I had my briefcase. With the money in it, on but I still wrote production. I'd say see you guys over there. So we're ra- rolling through. We had Nurse Laura then, and we're all just raging, <laughs> raging it up. And then I was like, okay, border's coming soon. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go retire because we gotta get to the border. Well, I go to sleep, or I try to go to sleep, tough. and then Kevin falls asleep in the front, and everybody starts riding on Kevin. Remember that with the sharpie? Oh yeah, Very everyone's writing just the worst stuff you can imagine yeah. on kevin and they're like
0: usa fuck. sucks
2: yeah no fuck uh, Canada. Our- a variety <laughs> of things and i'm like i don't even see this and i come up and i go okay we got to stop this is horrible so anyway the border crossing comes we get there and i can just hear bang 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 the bus driver's like the border's here border's here and there's a guy and he and you know he's border patrol and he's like who's running this thing? Who's in charge of this? And then Kevin just springs up from the couch and I can see him springing up and he's like, that's me. That's me. I'm Kevin. And he's got, I don't know what, Swazi right here and a just fuck Canada. Everything. Just covered in Sharpie. So I think you set the tone for me getting in all the trouble, actually. Kevin's like, I'm in charge of all these people. So off the bus. Everybody off the bus, right? And then we're Everyone's drunk. Laura Sanders is like running to get booze from across the border. Literally trying to run to... Laura Slippy's got like red wine all down or spilled down. And Dickie and Billy are fighting over like, oh, you're Canadian, eh? Like everyone, everyone is just a mess, right? We're just a total mess. And Kevin's got Sharpie. But for some reason, they decided to pick my metal briefcase and I couldn't remember the combination, right? Because whatever, we've been partying, like, open up the briefcase. And I'm like, I'm trying and I can't. And they took me in another room under, like, some crazy police floodlight. Meanwhile, everybody's out there. And now we're holding thing. I don't remember what happened to me. All I know is I kept fighting it, going, you're counting this as U.S. equivalent. This is a Canadian equivalent of this money, and it's not 10K. And I don't even know how we got through that border.
0: Well we but, sat there for I remember them counting that money over and over again with you, yeah, and then yeah, they fin- yeah. they finally brought a form out uh-huh. and they and they made our nurse 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 Laura, who was supposed to take care of all of us, and she was probably the drunkest of everyone <laughs> and they said she was going to have to sign this form for us to get us and there's like 30 buses behind us yeah. now and remember like everyone held her arm and tried to yeah. write her name held, on this form her
2: arm to <laughs> sign the form. That was, I mean, you would never get away with this at that border ever again, like we did. But here I am lecturing everybody before we leave for the border, like, don't fuck this up. You know, like we got a show to do and everybody don't go before us because we got to get through first. And now I'm keeping us stuck at the border for hours, counting this briefcase full of, they even made me pull the (laughs) lint out of my pocket and put it on the table. They're like, is that just lint or is it coins? But we got, I remember we got back on the bus and what did we do? And we just started partying again. We're like, give us some beer, give us some <laughs> Canadian beer, and just went yep. off to the show. But that was, uh, yeah, that was quite an experience.
0: One of the biggest things is, is you know, stories don't end now that the Warp Tour ends. These people are doing other things, and Todd is doing her thing. Um, so, and Lisa's doing her this thing. So, before we leave them, let's see what they're up to.
2: Two things came my way, but the biggest one um, is we are launching with the team of people, the Punk Rock Museum in Vegas Punk Shop in downtown Las Vegas, 2021, 12,000 square feet of memorabilia uh, starting in the early 70s. Um, So I am relocating from New York City to Las Vegas in May to get this thing
1: off of the ground. Yeah, I
0: googled that. They even have a Facebook
1: page. You're just ramping up yeah, right now, but it's going to be really cool.
0: Very cool because uh, a lot of people that worked on Warp Tour are part of the team that are building it, including Fat Mike, who's the the driving force. Fat Mike from No Effects is the driving force behind mm-hmm. the concept and idea. And then Lisa's going to curate it. And, Do you know where it's going to be, or they haven't even got real estate they, yet? I, they have the real estate. I don't know exactly where it's at, but we'll announce that when that comes up That's for sure. Be cool. And then, um, you know. I, 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 Of course, I, I think it, it's a great read if you if you get a chance. So uh, let's find out how we can get uh, this book, Loud, by Tana Douglas.
3: The e-version's available worldwide. It's just launched in Australia and New Zealand, so it's been out two weeks down there. Um, you can get it on any e-platform. It has like 100 different images and different bands and some of myself as well. Right you can, can flick by those ones. <laughs> but... Um, There's a playlist that comes with it that also gives you an idea of the content. You know, that's on Spotify. It's called Loud as well. So, you know, you can pick it up anywhere. And there's over here for like the States and Europe and England, there's a company called The Book Depository, thebookdepository.com. And they'll ship you a printed version if you specifically want a printed version.
0: I was lucky enough to get to do these events, Tony, that we would do in the mountains where we would blend in, Snowboard, a board across, some skateboarding, some music. And, right, cool. and one of those events was Board Aid, which kind of inspired me that day to do this. But another event that I was um, asked to help out on and I really enjoyed it was in Lake Tahoe. It was a thing called Boarding for Breast Cancer, where they were bit raising money for breast cancer awareness. And uh, our charity of the week is a fantastic organization. And, and I think we're, you'll really get a chance to, to get to know her, uh, Shaney Joe Darden. Mm-hmm. Um, I've known her for many, many years and um, we thought it was a good time. And this episode being dedicated to uh, breast cancer survivors, um, I thought that'd be great for you to get to learn a little bit about uh, Keep A Breast. They're still around and thriving and you'll learn a little bit more. So let's, let's hear from Shaney.
4: We um, started basically with these casts that you'd see behind us. Um, one of our friends, Margaret Kilgallen, who was a painter, and we actually had brought her art out on the Vans Warp Tour as Modart. And we showed her art to all the kids across the country and she had breast cancer and then we became friends with the girls from boarding for breast cancer because Mona worked at trans world snowboarding magazine and they invited us to do an exhibit at the sports and music festival so we said well instead of just bringing art why don't we create something tied to the cause so we made these breast casts on our friends, on all the athletes, and really just started as a way to help one person keep abreast. And then, with um, the ability to come out on the Vance Warp tour and create educational information in a cool way, really allowed us to, like you said, grow quickly and become everywhere almost overnight because of the
1: warp tour. I had no idea, so you actually started her on the warp tour. They were they were exhibiting these to help just one person, but her organization is
0: massive. It got very big. It it got very big, and there was a, you know, it was like it was going along, going along, and they had this concept because back then a lot of times the bands would wear rubber bracelets with causes, a cause-based band, right. And she came up with this great term. I love boobies. (laughs) So
4: yeah, we came up with, um, you know, I was living in New York and I was um, always thought that I love New York kind of concept was super cool. And that's when the Lance Armstrong bracelets were, you know, really popular. So we just decided, well, you know what, this is a cool way to get information out to people, but also to raise funds. So we created the I Love Boobies bracelet and it was wide and bright. And um, with the Warped Tour, you know, all the bands started wearing the bracelets on stage. They started wearing our t-shirts, which really made that connection. It made all the kids who would see the bands, you know, supporting Keep Breast. then they would come to our booth and they would get to learn more about
0: prevention and early detection. A lot of times, Things fly under the radar, you know. Warp Tour flew under the radar for a long time. No one knew. We just did our thing. Then, as it got more and more known, more sometimes things happen, as well as what happened with Shaney, with this um, organization, Keep Abreast, when they came up with this amazing term. I love boobies. Was you know caught on, and the bracelets and the bands were wearing them, and the fans were picking up these bracelets. I mean, like a million of them. People purchased like a million of them to support them. It was crazy. Oh, that's great. But it, it did lead to a little bit of controversy.
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the bracelets were banned all over the country. Um, kids were getting suspended from school. There was even a court case that went all the way to the Supreme Court about the I Love Boobies bracelet.
1: Uh, both the district court and the uh, the circuit court uh, f- tried to focus on the word boobies. It's not the word. It is the sentence. I love Love boobies. How polarized and, and screwed up is this country? Yeah, you know, I mean, Even still today uh, that 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 uh, I
0: went all the way to the Supreme Court because kids were wearing it in school. I imagine they were wearing it to school and they were suspended and they went to the First Amendment rights that this is not you know and 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 it went up all the way up to the Supreme Court and the uh, Supreme Court kind of sided on the kid side. I like, of so, course yeah, they, they did. They did and uh, you know it was appealed and then they they kicked it back and you know but just think about that and you know well i'm
1: hoping that what it did was make a lot of people more aware and a lot of people buy more for the for the cause
0: well there was a cause and they were doing these they did these cards that would stay in the in the in the showers you know it was pretty cool
4: Exactly. And the issue is about breast cancer, early detection and prevention. So getting, you know, young people in the habit of knowing their body and knowing what's normal for them and also being able to talk to their parents about it. You know, we have um, many times on the work tour where young people would bring their mom to the booth and be like, hey, mom, you got to check this out. And then they would come back to us a year later and be like, you know, my mom actually found a lump because they met you the year before wouldn't have known
1: that information. That's awesome. And also another thing, I think I saw her do a Ted talk where she talked about the, the complete unawareness of, of, you know, how to properly test for breast cancer. And and she said something like only five to 10% of it was hereditary that uh, what, what brings about breast cancer mostly is just environmental situations and, and, Stuff that's bad for you.
0: Yeah, you know, she, you know, she did this, uh, started, you know, diversified into this whole organization, a non-toxic revolution. Right. Uh, you know, to awareness of chemicals in our environment. Ah. And, you know, um, it, she's making people aware through then. I mean, Chaney has that, you know, she has that energy. And, you know, I was asking her what she's been up to now, you know, because they were such a face-to-face company and, you know, with everything going on.
4: Yeah, I mean, we have um, several programs that are about education and also survivor support. Um, the, one of our main programs is Check Yourself, which is about early detection. And we have an app. So the app is incredible. It's free. It shows you how to do your self-check. It will help you schedule and send you an automatic reminder once a month of on the right time. Because many people don't know that there is actually a right time to check your breasts and we have a partnership with a company called carbon health so if you do happen to actually find something the app will ask you did you find something yes no maybe and if you do find something you can set up a virtual care appointment with a doctor at carbon health within 10 minutes Uh so it's really this awesome connection to be able to offer people care on the next
1: step from that first moment that she was on the warp tour and then things started really steamrolling for her organization which of course is a nonprofit. it's amazing where is she now what is she doing well, I, now?
0: I had this great uh, person working for me for a couple of years her name was melanie pierce and melanie had also worked with keep Breast. so when she came over to us she'd been working on this project and and you know, though we didn't get to have it this year, it's a very cool project. So what's let's see what Shaney's doing on, you know, outside of uh, some of the other projects and doing this one with Melanie Pierce.
4: The biggest event we do every year is called Brew Bees, um, <laughs> which was founded by Melanie Pierce. And we've been doing that for, this year would have been the 12th year. So it's canceled, but it's a pink beer festival. And um, that event has raised over a half a million dollars for Keep Abreast in the um, last 12 years.
1: I think I saw something, they've been doing it a long time, is it like, a- in the
0: ocean side, they or do what? it down in Ocean Side, they do it up in uh, in this Bay Area in Alameda. Oh, cool. Um, uh, so it, they do a few of them. Uh, we were trying to expand to a few other markets, but you know, due to COVID and some of the other issues, sure. And uh, you know, but, but it'll be back, just it'll like be back. Else. Yeah, you know, that's you know, it, and that's what we're kind of sitting here right now. You know, we're kind of seeing some optimism, some light at the center right. of this tunnel, My Tony. Uh-huh. You, know? you know, optimism and groovies. Let's go. Yep. so uh, hopefully, uh, it's a super fun event. Hopefully we'll be able to enjoy that uh, sometime next year in 2021-22. Cool. So some of you have joined our Patreon and hear the full-length versions of all those interviews. I don't know if you've been able to do that, but uh, they're quite entertaining. Uh, there's a lot, you know, we're only grabbing some of the moments, but there's some really funny additional stories. Um, you can also text us any topics you want us to hear at 818 863 6445 That's 818 818- 863 Eight, six, three, six, four, four, five. Please uh, check us
1: out on Instagram and Facebook
0: at my warped life. Hey, uh, we have a couple letters and cut notes from, uh, some warp tour, uh, former workers or fans, Janelle zoomowski. And thank you for spelling that out so I could actually come close to it. So thanks for uh, writing in. It said, Lisa Brownlee. She's a superstar in my eyes. If you've had any inspiration as a woman on the road, she'd be it. There was only a handful of times Lisa and I were able to interact, but she ensured everyone was having a stellar time and that everything was going accordingly. As I started young on the tour, she sparked the interest in myself that I could help outside of Warp Tour. Kevin and Lisa truly unknowingly opened up so many opportunities for myself from the 2015 Juno Awards to the Montebello Rock Fest. My heart will flutter once more for a Warped Family Reunion." We hope to see you again, Janelle, and best of success in your further adventures and career, and we hope to see you down the road. The other person that wrote was Aaron Albertson. I know Aaron. Hi. I worked, at the, on the, I worked in the Forfini production office with Kate and the team in 2007 and went on the road in 2008 as a reverse daycare management and then as a label tent manager in 2009. I used to flat iron all the guy's hair in the AM before doors inside of the reverse daycare tent. I had appointments every morning. It's great that people multitasked on that tour, and we call that the gray market. Thank you. Great to hear from you, Aaron. I truly want to thank all the, the awesome women that I got to work with all these years on the road. Uh, you are all fantastic. You all know the, the list would be too long to thank here individually, but you know who you are. And I hope to see you guys down the road somewhere on some project. But at this point, I guess we need to do all our normal thank yous. I want to thank my co-host, Tony Aratia. My producers, Xavier, Mustard Shorts, Bradley, Vivian Wang. Social media by Beata Shumto. And the star of the show, Diego Aratia, oh, yeah. who just celebrated his 14th birthday Yay! this week. Yay! As always, I want to thank Sierra Lyman, Sabrine Lyman, and Fran Lyman. You want to thank anyone, Tony? No,
1: I want you to tell him to take it away, baby. Oh,
0: take it away, Diego. <laughs> kind of a rule of mine in class or anything I'm doing when an animal walks into the camera you have to introduce it so there's been someone dancing behind you most of this time you up can in the window it. so well yeah so who is that
2: That's Cairo Kitty